1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.
2: We've been taking a look at what is a church. Uh, We've had a chance to talk about word and sacrament. Today we're going to be talking about the third mark of a church, which is discipline. Let's take a look at these two sections of Scripture. Matthew 18, 15 to 20, and 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. So Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, tells us this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And we're also going to take a look at first Corinthians chapter nine, verses twenty-four to twenty-seven. First Corinthians first <coughs> Corinthians chapter nine verses twenty four to twenty seven. I myself should be disqualified. So today, we're going to talk about one of the aspects of church life that, in my limited experience, is oftentimes almost totally absent from the church, discipline. Now, this might be a tough topic for us, and it might be a tough topic because it gets at, it confronts one of the central lies in Western society, that no one should be able to tell me how I should live my life. That's one of the central lies in, uh, in the society in which we live. And it's one of the ways that your soul and my soul will be formed to believe that we are the ones that should be ultimate masters of our own lives and no one should speak to it. There are two examples of this that I want to give to you. The first is, uh, is a poem that I think gets at so much of Western society. The very final, uh, final stanza, final verse of this poem Invictus, which says, It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scroll I am the master of my fate I am the captain of my soul and that poem gets at a central truth in, uh, in, in western life that we believe that we are the ones to be able to captain our soul that no one else should be able to be in charge of those and therefore we are an entity unto ourselves and to bring it home a little bit more I want to quote my, fam- my favorite secular theologian that's Kanye West of course and uh, and what he says in his song can't tell me nothing is this. This is the chorus of that song. It's not going to make as much sense because I'm going to be reading it. But you you understand. The chorus is this. La 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 la. Wait till I get my money right. La 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 la. Then you can't tell me nothing, right? Excuse me. Is you saying something? Uh uh-uh, uh. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing Uh uh-uh, you can't tell me nothing. Now, that's poetry right there, isn't it? (laughs) But it does get at a pretty central or fundamental truth of our lived existence that we believe that no one can tell us anything. You can't tell me anything. Don't say anything to me. I'm the one that's the master of my fate and captain of my soul, so you can't tell me nothing. And the point of this is to say that your soul has been formed to believe that you are an entity unto yourself, that this is a part of the formation of Western society. You and I have been formed to believe somewhere in our, uh, in our flesh that no one has the right to tell us otherwise than that we are the ones that are the master of our own life. And this is a lie. The truth is that the Lord has made you and that the Lord has a right to direct your life and it's for your good that the Lord gives his laws and his decrees and following them will always be a benefit for us and disregarding them will always harm us. Disregarding God's laws and His ways will always bring destruction to us, both in this world and the next. And so, today, it's important that we take up this difficult topic, the topic of discipline. And I want to talk about how, biblically, there are three different aspects of discipline, But how there's self-discipline that's commanded. There's There's formational or formative discipline, also known as discipleship, which is is given to the church. And there's also church discipline, what's properly termed church discipline. And so we're going to first talk about self-discipline. The first aspect of discipline that we're going to be talking about is self-discipline. And here it's important for us to realize something. The Christian faith is utterly opposed to earning. You cannot earn your salvation You cannot earn God's favor. There's nothing that you could do that would make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do that would make God love you less. But the Christian faith, while it is steadfastly opposed to earning, is not opposed to effort. This is why all throughout the Scriptures, you have the free offer of the gospel And you also have the call to diligently pursue faithful obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the free offer of the gospel apart from any work that you could possibly do. And you also have the call to a diligent following after the Lord. So let me give you a few examples of this. John 3.16. First, this is the free offer of the gospel, apart from anything that you or I can do or could possibly do. John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not keeping the law in order to merit eternal life. It's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes us to Acts 6, verse 31, which says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The scriptures all throughout tell us of this beautiful truth that salvation is an act of God— It's by grace that you've been saved. It's through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. You are saved apart from your works. And having been saved, you're called to put forth effort, to be self-disciplined, to exert yourself in following after the Lord. 2 Timothy 1, 3 and following tells us this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promise that through Him you may become partakers in the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's GroundedInGrowingRadio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: The type of training that athletes go through is intense. Let me read to you a small portion, I wish I could read you the whole thing, but about the worst moment in basketball history, the moment Ray Allen hit the corner three in game six against the Spurs to lead an ungodly Heat team to their second title with LeBron James on the team. This is serious, that was an ungodly team. LeBron should have gone to Chicago, not to Miami. So this is what this is what Bill Simmons writes in Grantland several years ago. He says this. He says I watched Ray Allen play uh, play for my favorite team for five years. He goes to the same spots and does the same things in the same ways. Not just for weeks or months, but for years and years. He's the closest thing we have to an NBA robot. He treats three pointers like tennis players treat their serves, golfers treat their swings, and pitchers treat their delivery. Quick jump, quick release, perfect form, line drive, bang, every shot looks the same. Watching Ray long enough and you instinctively realize when he's heating up and when he's shooting from a spot that he likes and when he's thrust in a situation that, even if it seems chaotic, happens to be perfect for Ray Allen and Ray Allen only. With seven seconds left in game six, suddenly we were in one of those situations and I knew just from watching him backpedal those first two steps. True story. When Ray practices threes from different parts of the court, sometimes he blinds himself so he can't see the three-point line. His complicated shooting routine unfolds hours before games, like hours before games. Sometimes with cheerleaders practicing and arena employees turning the lights on and off, he practices footwork as diligently as a ballerina, partly because he's a perfectionist, partly out of basketball OCD, and partly because he always wants to be prepared for anything. And you know what's crazy? Ray Allen is enough of a lovable weirdo that he practiced the specific corner three he hit against the Spurs. In fact, he's been practicing since his Milwaukee days. He goes on to, to catalog the intense training that led to Ray Allen hitting this one landmark, career-making, legacy, in, uh, you know, establishing three, and his complete dedication to his craft is admirable. And what the passage of Scripture that we read today says is this, the same sort of discipline that goes into Ray Allen showing up hours before the game and shooting three after three after three to make sure that he gets it right. That same sort of devotion is the kind of, dis- of discipline that the Apostle Paul exhorts you and me to give in our commitment to growing in Christ. This means daily spending time with the Lord. It means developing habits of prayer and praise and participation in church. It means mastery over your body and avoiding sin. It means taming the tongue. It means keeping thoughts captive. It means developing a rhythm of life wherein everyone would be able to affirm that person is devoted to their Lord. One of the most famous YouTubers today says that discipline is freedom, and he's right. If you are undisciplined, you will become a captive to your most base desires. You'll become a slave to sin. You'll become a slave to your vices. But in self-discipline, and in the church, this means giving yourself, your whole self, to the Lord and structuring your life around Him and His ways. In this, there is great freedom. And so you need to develop mastery over your own body and your own mind and your own life and devote it all to the Lord and to following His ways and to keeping yourself from sin. You'll need to determine how it is that you're going to spend time with Him each day in the study of His Word, how you'll keep yourself from temptation, how you'll be a disciplined Christian. You should develop a plan. This is particularly so if in hearing this, you're realizing that you are not spending time with the Lord regularly or not sufficient time with the Lord. You're called to the sort of single-minded devotion to Christ and His ways that athletes demonstrate as they are training to try to win a prize. And the church helps with self-discipline through formative discipline, and this is the second point. There's formative discipline that the church gives itself to. This is also sometimes called discipleship. This is a central act of the church. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25 says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's not neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but let's encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. The church Through the regular preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments, through confession and assurance, through studying the Bible together, through church education, through life together, the church disciplines through discipleship. The church helps us to form our loves and to orient them towards the Lord. You see, you are what you love. You are what you love. The thing that is for you, your ultimate love, is going to be that thing which is most determinative in making you to be who it is that you are. You are more shaped by your loves than anything else. And your loves are developed through your habits and through your practices. Your loves are developed through your habits and through your practices. And so if you claim to love your family but spend more time away from them with your friends, what you are showing through your habits and practices and what will be the case in your own heart is you love your friends more than your family. If you say that you love the church, but you aren't around or participating in the life of the church, you'll find that you don't actually love the church. If you claim that your ultimate love is God and his ways, but you spend no time developing rhythms of obedience to the Lord God, you'll find that this actually isn't your most ultimate love and you're going to be shaped by whatever is your most ultimate love. And the default setting will be for yourself to be your most ultimate love. You know, I teach a class at Trinity Christian College. I've got a lot of students that aren't Christians there. And I asked them to talk about their ultimate loves in one of the classes that we had. For a large percentage of the people there, they said their own health was an ultimate love. Their own health. But you think, the thing is, is that like functionally? Functionally, this is the case for many of us, right? We might say, you know, Jesus is my ultimate love, but the things that we're spending time on is our own health or our own enjoyment. Part of discipleship is that the church, the church gives us an alternate way of living, of existing. The church gives us different rhythms, different habits of grace. The church, whenever we come together and we participate in confession and an assurance, that is a radically distinct pattern of behavior from anything that you might find in the culture, right? Where else are you going to confess your sins and hear an assurance of pardon? Where else are you going to cultivate the kind of humility that says, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior, Where else? But in the church, do you engage in the sorts of habits that, that are brought to us through regular participation in the sacraments, through being reminded of Christ Jesus visibly every time we engage in them? Where else are you going to be in a place where you, where you sit down and you focus for an extended period of time, hearing from God's word? This is fundamentally important. And the church disciples in these sorts of ways, cultivating the kinds of habits and practices that allow us and enable us to live into the fact that Christ should be our chief love. In this kind of formative instructional discipline, also called discipleship, this is part of what the church is tasked with. You are what you love. Give yourself fully to the life of the church and to Christ and his ways, and you will come to love the Lord more. Remove yourself from fellowship or cease to spend time in God's word or stop spending time in prayer, and you will find that you will move away from him. And it might be gradually, imperceptibly, but it'll happen. And when people do fall away, there's a need for what might be the most difficult for us, and that's church discipline. Church discipline follows the pattern of Matthew chapter 18. It's what I read at the very beginning of the uh, very beginning of our time together, and the way that church discipline operates is this: First, there needs to be some individual confrontation from one Christian to another. If you see a dear brother or a dear sister who's in sin, one of the ways that you love them is to lovingly confront them. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You see, this is the hope in any kind of godly or biblical or loving confrontation. It is never to assert any kind of superiority, but it is because we know how dangerous sin is, how soul-destroying it is, that we go to a dear brother or dear sister and say, I love you so much, and I need you to know that this is wrong and that you need to stop this. It is a loving friend who's willing to confront you. Proverbs chapter 27 tells us this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What that proverb is telling us is that it is the enemy who flatters. It is the enemy who will affirm every aspect of your life and never call you to change. It is your enemy who will tell you, well, you do you. It's your friend who confronts. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend doesn't stab you in the back. A true friend stabs you in the front. A true friend is willing to speak sometimes a difficult or harsh word because they care about you and your soul. Let me give you a couple of examples. When I was in high school, my best friend, Jacob Borkus, he and I had been out that evening with a group of friends. He felt like I had been making fun of him that evening, and he was right. I hadn't intended to try to embarrass or demean him, but that's the, that's the way of things. That's the way it had developed. And so that night, it was late at night, and this is you know before I had a cell phone. There was a, a, a call on our home phone about 2 a.m., and I knew that that was probably for me, and I knew I needed to answer it quickly because my parents were going to get to it if I didn't get there quick. So I answered the basement phone, and it was my, my, my best friend, Jacob. And he goes, hey, man, you know you're my best friend. You know that you're the person that I'm, like, the closest to in life. And I just want to tell you that the way that you acted to me tonight, he's like, that, that wasn't kind. You just were embarrassing me. You were demeaning me. And I just need you to know that because you're my best friend, and I want for us to continue to be best friends. And I'm like, you are right, Jake. I am so sorry that I acted that way towards you. I am so sorry that I wronged you like that. And through godly confrontation, he was able to win me back. Another time, I was a freshman in college and I was taking Greek along with my good friend, Will Haslam. And uh, and I, uh, at that time in my life, was not a disciplined studier. And so I got to my Greek quiz and I found that I knew none of the answers, but I knew that the guy who sat just in front of me did. And so I looked at his quiz and whatever he wrote, I wrote the same thing. And I got the quiz back. I got 100% on that thing. I cheated off the right person. And, uh... And later that week, my buddy Will came up to my dorm, and I was sitting there in my dorm, and he, he had this big sigh. He was like, oh, this is awful. This is terrible. It's so what he muttered to himself. And he goes, listen, man, I saw you cheating on that Greek quiz. You need to tell the professor that you cheated. You need to take a zero on that quiz. And I was like, you're right. You're right. And so I left talking to my friend. I went to Dr. Lonsmith's office. I knocked on it. He was there. It was during his office hours. He's like, come on in. I was like, Dr. Lonswell, I cheated on the last quiz. You need to give me a zero. I copied all the answers from the guy in front of me. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. And he's like, all right, that sounds good. You get a zero. Don't do it again. That was that's maybe my favorite grade I've ever received in my whole life. <laughs> is that zero on that Greek quiz It's a freshman in college. Because the thing is is that is that will cared enough about me to not let me cheat. He knew that this was bad for my soul. And he knew that it was based upon like habits, right, of not studying that would ultimately be really destructive to me. And so I was like, all right, I'm not going to cheat anymore. That means that I need to be more faithful and self-disciplined in study. And this this was something that like corrected and helped and benefited my my whole trajectory in education, right? Cuz I had to do the work for myself. I wasn't going to cheat anymore from anybody. I turned things around. And I got A's in Greek in seminary. Not that that matters, right? But that's what ended up happening. And this happened because this happened because Will was able to confront me. And I know that Jacob and that Will care about me because they loved me enough to confront me when I had acted wrongly. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And let me tell you, getting caught cheating, man, that hurt. Being called out for being unkind to my friend, that hurt. But it was the kind of cut that healed. And if you love your Christian brother or sister, you will confront them when they are clearly going astray. And you'll pray that they listen and they hear.
1: My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.
2: Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.